Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Advice Show. I'm Zach, a reporter at New Model Advisor. I'm joined today by Chief Reporter Nicola Blackburn and Consulting Director at the Landcap, Mike Barrett. Today, we're looking ahead to what 2024 holds for the advice industry. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, hi. The FCA was very busy last year, um, and we will get into all the regulation uh, shortly. But first, very simply, could you give us an insight into how advice firms fared in 2023? Yeah, I think it's fair to say 2023 felt a little bit more challenging for for advice firms than they've perhaps been used to for for recent years. The, The FCA do a big annual data report in the middle of the year, so we obviously haven't got as far as seeing the full figures for 2023 yet, but 2022 was pretty good. Um, revenues were going up um, and the, the sector was fairly stable in terms of advice numbers and all the rest of that. And also you could see that advice firms have been building in recurring revenue into their businesses as well. So the not only were revenues going up, but on average, 75% of those revenues are coming from ongoing fees. So that, I think that that dynamic in particular has started to kind of come through on the advice sector where you start the year and you look at some, where 75% of your revenue is coming from and you naturally focus on making sure you retain that revenue. So advisors spend quite a bit of time with their, working with their existing clients. The the good news, I think it's good news from, a, from an advisor's business point of view, but as we'll talk about in a moment without I'm sure if the regulator starts to have concerns about the yeah whether those fees represent fair value, then that might be a, a potentially quite damaging for for the advice sector. But I mean, broad, broadly, it was yeah, it felt okay. It, it was changing. We saw a lot of money moving off platforms as well, which is probably a bit of an imperfect proxy for what's happening in the advice sector. But if, if the money's leaving the platform, then that means the advisor, the, the money's going into the client's pocket rather than necessarily generating fees for the advisors as well. And all of us, the obvious stuff that people know about around kind of cash and market volatility and S&I being all attractive, all of those other things kind of, yeah, all just kind of combined to making it not the greatest year ever, I think, for the advice sector. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously all of this feeds into um, the fact that last year was a really difficult year for clients. And of course, you know, we saw many taking more income um, when when costs were difficult and, and, you know, people were thinking a lot more about saving, particularly retired clients. Um, but in tandem with this, last year we saw the FCA's Retirement Income Advice Review. Um, yeah. And the the review, you know, there have been kind of several several sort of iterations to it so far, but the FCA appeared to really crack down on fees and ongoing fees. Um, is that something you noticed, Mike? And you know, do you expect to see more of that in twenty twenty four? Yeah, I think the 
I think it, it, it certainly feels very significant to, to me. I mean, the typical client that an advice firm will be serving is somebody in the kind of a retirement income space. So transitioning through retirement, starting to go move from accumulating their wealth to taking income. And actually, we see through our research and through through other data that's available that advice businesses are becoming more and more focused on those clients. The, the conversations we've been having with advisors around this are what's actually happening happening at an individual client level. So you're, you're, the types of things you talked about, people are starting to take more income to cover the cost of living, maybe kind of starting to put a little bit more into into cash as, as well. I mentioned NSNI earlier. Um, I think it was September, they wrote 7.7 .7 billion into their, their one-year bond in one month. There's a lot of money moving away from investable assets into into different asset classes. And the cumulative effect of that, bank of mum and dad, we keep hearing talk about as well, where yeah, people are having to take out lump sums perhaps to help children with first-time mortgages, all of that type of thing. That all for an individual client at that stage in their life, all of that feels quite sensible things to be doing. But then you aggregate that up across kind of a hundred, a thousand clients in a in an advice firm and then into a into the platform space, and suddenly that's where you see you see the impact on net flows, in particular on platforms. So we, we track platform figures at the Lancat and have done, well, for as long as we can remember. And we're, we're all quite sad that the Lancat would do it for our own personal pleasure rather than just um, for, for business purposes as well. And Q2 last year was the worst quarter that we'd ever seen for net flows in the platform space. And then we dusted off the, the spreadsheet at start to, to put in the Q3 figures and that got even worse as, as well. So it's in terms of net flows, the platform space has not been in a great space. And it's a pretty imperfect proxy for what's going on in the advice sector, admittedly. But it's a, it, yeah, it does reflect that the going back to the individual clients here, they are changing the way which their financial plans are constructed and are particularly increasing the amount of income which they're taking. The FCA is obviously collecting an enormous amount of data um, to process, uh, to asking these firms uh, for these in requests and processing um, this data. Do you think that smaller firms are, are ready for this? We hear a lot about the burden of regulation and we hear a lot about why that's why some firms are selling up. Do you think that's something to consider for these firms? Um. Yeah, I, I, it's it's also sometimes I just wonder where some sometimes the the regulator could just take a few kind of simple steps just to try and make that life a little bit easier because the reality is ninety uh, percent of the market are uh, of the advice market are small firms so ninety percent have less than five advisors half of firms are one person band advisors so again it's not kind of a minority sport, sport we're talking about here you yeah the small firms represent the advice sector so even just silly little things like um you, you see them sometimes sending out data requests on a friday afternoon or dear ceo letters on a friday afternoon which is highly amusing to someone like me who doesn't have to deal with this stuff but yeah is that really the best way to kind of communicate to be a kind of a friendly regulator and also perhaps even things like working with some of the back office system providers. So if, they, if these data requests are 
needed when they're needed. Mm. Why not work with the likes of Intelliflow and Iris who dominate the advisor back office sector and just say, look, is there a way which firms can get this data out of their systems? Mm. Yeah, can you run a query on the database? Or yeah, is there a button you can press in Intelliflow to, to run that data? Yeah, again, just kind of holding their hands a little bit and reflecting the, the, these firms are small businesses. And if it is a one person band, they've got to run the business, they've got to give advice, they've got to deal with everything else that's going on in their own life as well. And regulations are part of that. But yeah, let's try and make it a bit easier, I think. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mike, if in 2024, you know, we are to see the FCA, um, you know, coming out with some some sort of best practice guidelines on ongoing charging. You know, we, we spoke a lot about fees and how that's been a real recurring focus for them. Um, I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned before that um, for a lot of advice firms, you know, 2023 was, we, we saw that these recurring revenues were coming from it was coming from the 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 mainstays, the clients that had been with them for yeah. years and years, right? Um, so what you know, what can you see the impact being of um, the FCA cracking down on on ongoing fees? I mean, are we are we talking about you know some advice businesses having to rethink their fee models? Um, can you see that as a possibility? We've seen a lot of demand from advisors. Yeah, who are, and a lot of concern, I think, from advisors who are just struggling with some of this stuff. Um, we we did we did a, an exercise on behalf of Royal London towards the end of last year with a lot of advisor and consumer research on the topic of fair value and the the kind of the the, the inherent nature here that it's subjective and slightly and in particular the stuff which consumers do value from advice is. Um, in a lot of cases, kind of intangible. Um, it's peace of mind. It's yeah, sorting out my future self and all of that type of stuff. How do you actually measure that in a manner which the regulator is going is is comfortable with? I think yeah, the FCA really should help answer that question for for advisors. Longer term, if they really do have a problem with um, advice fees, then. That's quite a difficult nettle, I think, to grasp just because 75% of the advice sector is um, revenue comes from, from ongoing fees. So I, I can't think of much more of anything more disruptive. I think the regulator could in theory do above, I don't know, banning financial advisors. Yeah, if they really did throw a grenade into, into advice fees, that, I think that would be the most significant thing that I can remember for a long time coming into into the advice sector, but I don't think we're quite at that stage yet. I think consumer duty has to kind of play itself out. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, um, short of of throwing a grenade um, at, at ongoing fees, you know, there has been, as you say, there are concerns, you know, over over some ongoing high ongoing fees that just simply aren't justified. Do you think this is the sort of correct approach? To, to set out these principles or as you mentioned we should we might have some more we, we could have some more clarity rather before um on you know what is fair value it's quite a high bar here don't don't get me wrong i've kind of quite kind of just said oh yeah consumer duty is the answer that yeah there's quite a lot to get to that particular point and as, and as i said 
a lot of advisors we know are asking for help around evidencing fair value because they want to do it. Um, and but there's, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot. You, there's kind of quite a few kind of givens here that we we assume you're, you're assuming obviously that the services that the the client has signed up for are being delivered. And you hear just a few whispers every now and then that perhaps there are parts of the advice sector where that isn't the case. So the client, I don't know, is paying for an annual review and isn't getting an annual review or whatever that might be. That type of thing obviously sounds pretty unsuitable. Mm. And yeah, I'm not sure how you could evidence that that, yeah, they're paying for something which they don't get. doesn't seem to me like that's, that represents fair value. But then again, the kind of the... The, the difficulty will be the, those high fees that you allude to there, Zach, is, okay, what does that actually represent for that individual client? Because in a lot of cases, the, if the client is reasonably comfortable paying that fee themselves, you've kind of got to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis and how much complexity have they got going on in their life as well. And also there is the ability for consumers to make some sort of judgment around this as well. And not everything has to be kind of a race to the bottom for, for, for price for in, in this particular space. People can choose to fly whatever class they want. And if you want to pay a bit of a premium price, then if providing you understand that mm -hmm. and the consumer understanding part of consumer duty is hit through, then there is scope for those to be, to be acceptable. But it's the practices where consumers don't really know what's going on here that that's where the issues will be i think yeah and moving on um for a second for uh clients well for consumers rather um the fca also is you know looking to relax the advice guidance boundary uh, i wanted to know what you make of the current plans um you know uh, a consultation a discussion paper uh, last month focusing on targeted support and also changes to simplified advice and whether this is the right move yeah, so I think I think it, I think that it was very much it felt that that was a, a paper you kind of needed to read with a number of hats on and kind of consider it from different the different stakeholders, so consumers, advisors, providers, etc. So I think stick sticking with that, uh, yeah, consumers ultimately it, these types of changes should be good news um, for consumers. So people who can't get advice tend to kind of get dropped off a cliff basically and you are completely on your own and the types of um, kind of guided services which were alluded to there and kind of helping people make more informed decisions and using big data to evidence what people like you do and all of that type of stuff feels like that you can see a way where that could be implemented well and would generate good outcomes for the individuals involved in that as well. So that, that feels quite a positive. If you look at it from purely a provider's point of view, you can see a world where a provider is able to improve the services they give to those types of clients. And um, it's quite difficult in some cases for advisors. You may know they're having to kind of push people away and make, and perhaps they can see them generate kind of self-harming almost mm. and generating poor outcomes and they don't, they're not able to do anything. And also cynically, you can see a world where this is going to allow providers to sell more stuff and 
sell more of their own things, retain clients and all the rest of it. So from a shareholder point of view, from a revenue point of view, quite good for them. I don't think advisors are worried about providers stealing clients and all of that type of stuff as well. That's kind of pretty old thinking in, in my view. So yeah, I think most advisors will be fairly kind of dismissive in the short term around this. But I just wonder whether kind of the, yeah, fast forward four or five years, the, the longer term impacts around this, when these changes have finally started to come through, yeah, should be positive in some respects that people perhaps are going to have, be able to accumulate more wealth and and engage more with their financial services, with, with financial lives and all the rest of it. But I just wonder whether this kind of this simplified environment which is going to be created there is going to create a very different kind of perception of price a, a different price point and the jump that you're going to have to then make into the full financial planning world yeah i can get free guidance from my provider from my platform provider all the way up to the point of retirement and then you're suddenly exposed to the level of fees that a typical financial planner will will be commanding i'm old enough to kind of remember the the pre-rdr world where probably the worst thing that the advice sector ever did was to allow a uh, commission to create a perception that advice was free and good advice, good financial planning has considerable value and is worth paying for that. And as we said earlier, the consumer research we've done with people who pay for that indicates that they, they, they believe that to be true as well. So yeah, the, the, the work should be positive, but it mustn't trigger a race to the bottom in terms of price and certainly mustn't there's a risk there i think that it might start to cannibalize what the financial planning sector is doing even though they won't directly benefit or be operating in that space i was also struck by um what you said earlier about you know good financial planning is is worth paying for we are all trying to address the advice gap looking ahead how can how do you think firms can practically do that or how can the regulator encourage um encourage this to get fixed yeah, so the, the advice gap is a study we do on an annual basis at, at the Landcats. And um, if I pull my finger out, we'll have it ready for the middle of this year, as per usual as, as, as well. The, the the key thing for the advice gap is looking at kind of the, the different segments from the consumer side of things as to actually what are the barriers to taking advice here. And clearly at a population level, um, kind of affordability, their own financial resilience is is by far the biggest problem. So something like half of the population are in debt and are taking on more debt. So they're a long way away from being a typical financial planner's client. client. But in if you like in more kind of addressable segments, the biggest barrier is trust. So there are, I think from, from memory, from the survey, from a research we did last year, um, it was, you could almost double the amount of people who had paid for financial advice if the trust within the financial advice sector was, was improved. And there's a little bit of nuance around that, where, where that plays out, where people find it quite hard to find a financial advisor. And they, that barrier yeah, the best way to break down the trust barrier is to have a personal recommendation or a professional recommendation. And that, again, there's, there's kind of maybe bits you can address around kind of um, improving kind of the 
the ability for somebody to find a good financial planner. But trust is the biggest issue around that. It's not affordability. There is some sense of, um, sorry, affordability of fees or levels of fees. There is some sensitivity for cost out there. But yeah, if people had <clears throat> a good perception of financial planners, then in theory, as I said, our research, if you, if you remove that barrier, you, it would almost double the amount of people who could afford to pay for advice and would do. They just, yeah, the advice sector doesn't have a very good reputation, I'm afraid to say. I mean, you, I guess you can see why banks, insurers, you know, um, opt to set up a restricted advice arm and, and you know, th- think that they will get business from referrals because it's the, the, the trust in that name, isn't it? You know, that if they already have a client, with a current account yeah, there's a bit around this i think the i think there is a um it's clear that i think all, all of us who've, who've been in the kind of the advice industry profession for the last certainly for as long as i have would have seen the transformation that's happened since rdr the professionalism the the advisors you interview on a regular basis you you you'll know the bar that which, which they're hitting in terms of qualifications and the professionalism and the pride which they have in, in their business. But none of that resonates at all with the general public. They, they, I can't, I don't think they can distinguish a chartered financial planner, a good financial advice firm from financial services, from banking generally. It's all badged in that level. I mean, yeah, and you look at wider surveys, surveys and financial services is trust about as much as I was going to say journalists there, but that'd be rude. Um, I trust about as much as politicians, and, and it's at that level. I just want to ask that last thing on trust. You know, one of the big things that hit trust in the last few years was, of course, the, the British Steel saga. We saw um, the SCA crack down hard on firms last year that had had given unsuitable advice um, in relation to that in relation to that pension scheme. Do you think we've seen the last of that? Uh, probably not. No, it's kind of it's kind of almost death by a thousand cuts i think for the for the reputation of the advice sector so <clears throat> as much as 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 much as kind of the, the good financial planning firms are able to kind of they, they'll have good reputations amongst their existing clients the, the the wider collateral damage when whenever a financial advisor gets gets fined by this as well is is pretty significant and yeah i think there will hopefully come a time when when the fca will say right that's it that's the last firm we've got open enforcement activity against coming through but the the impact around that and will be felt for generations to come it goes back to the individuals who were involved with it within that they would have told their families and friends and colleagues that financial advisors ripped me off and all the rest of that stuff and that that perception that's there for the financial planning sector yeah the regulator the trade bodies and anyone should be trying to help improve that i think mike barrett thank you so much for joining us um this has been a really informative podcast and thank you nicola as well great happy new year you've been listening to the advice show with myself and chief reporter nicola blackburn today we were joined by mike barrett consulting director at the Lancap. For any questions, please feel free to tweet us at New Model Advisor or email us at nmateam at citywire.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. 
The Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk.